What about the Bible? Is it authoritative? Can it be trusted? Is it divinely inspired by God? And is there any evidence to back up that claim? This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin, who's an author, scholar, apologist, and speaker defending the Christian faith all over the world. Pat, we're going to continue today a look at the authority of the Bible. This is part two. Part one, by the way, is available at evidenceandanswers.org with a host of other resources that will equip you, teach you, and add to your knowledge of these things. We talked about the authority of the Bible, and you gave some lines of evidence, Pat. And today we're going to get into a little more about prophecy and prophecies and other religious works, archaeology, science in the Bible, and some other things. But give us a quick review, a quick rundown of uh, some lines of evidence that we talked about last time supporting the inspiration of the Bible. Right. The Bible is uniquely confirmed to be the Word of God. It's the only book that has the supernatural confirmation that affirms his claim to be the divinely inspired Word of God. You know, God confirms his message and his messenger through miracles. And the Bible is the only book that has that kind of miracle confirmation. We talked about the fact that Jesus, the divine Son of God, affirms the divine inspiration of the Old Testament directly and the New Testament indirectly. We talked about the unity argument over 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period. Write a book that is consistent from Genesis to Revelation and does not contradict itself. We talked about that the biblical authors, many of them confirm their calling from God through miracles of prophecy or signs and wonders. No other authorship or book has that kind of miraculous confirmation upon its authors as the Bible. And we talked about Bible prophecy, that Bible is superior to other books out there in its detail and in, in the number of prophecies, predictions that he make of future events. There are over 700 predictions or prophecies made in the Bible very detailed. We went over a few, over 100 messianic prophecies made of Christ, and he fulfilled each one. So in that way, the Bible supernaturally confirms its claim to be the divine, divinely inspired Word of God. No other book has this kind of miraculous confirmation as the Bible. Well, Pat, aren't there prophecies in other religious works? How do they compare with Bible prophecy? Well, there are no prophecies on the level of the Bible in other religious works. You may find others that make some vague prophecies of future events or prophesy of future events that really don't come to pass. But there's no book that has the amount and the accuracy as Bible prophecy. Now, one person we often hear about, I mean, I can't go throughout a seminar when I speak on prophecy without the name of Nostradamus coming up. Didn't Nostradamus make several prophecies? Well, yes, he made many prophecies. Most of them turned out to be wrong. The vast majority turned out to be wrong. The two that seem to get attention, well, the one that seems to get a lot of attention is the prophecy on Hitler. Many say, well, didn't Nostradamus predict the coming of Hitler? Well, let me read to you the prophecy that many people refer to when they're talking about the Hitler prophecy. And here's the prophecy, Kevin. In the year that is to come soon, and not far from Venus, the two great ones of Asia Africa shall be said to come from the Rhine and Ister. Crying and tears shall be at Malta and on the Italian shore. <laughs> did, you see, did you see a clear prophecy of Adolf Hitler there? No, no. Ister sounds a little bit like Hitler, but is that where they get that? Right. They, they're making a big jump there, saying Ister refers to Adolf Hitler. Well, if you look at the context of the word, how it's being used there. It says, and shall be said to come from the Rhine. Well, that's a river. And Ister. So Ister is most likely talking about a river. In fact, Ray Comfort 
in his book, The Secrets of Nostradamus, adds his little commentary here. When it comes to Ister, he believes that Nostradamus here is talking about the lower Danube River. Therefore, that's not a prophecy of Adolf Hitler. You know, the Book of Mormon supposedly predicts Christopher Columbus and the fate of the Indians and the Revolutionary War, but the oldest manuscript we found is from the 1800s. So, really, there is no book that has the kind of prophetic legacy as the Bible. It's really unique uh, in its legacy of prophecy. There's no other book like it. You talked about archaeology a little bit in our first show, but uh, isn't there some controversy over some of the archaeological discoveries and the Bible? I know that liberals and skeptics write books from time to time, so there is some controversy. But it seems to me, Pat, that what we often hear is that archaeology is one of the Bible's strong suits. Right, Kevin. Well, let me read to you what some of the foremost archaeologists say regarding the historical accuracy of the Bible. I mean, Dr. William Albright, the father of modern Middle Eastern archaeology, writes this, There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Bible. Here's another great modern-day scholar, Dr. Nelson Gluick, and he writes in his book Rivers in the Desert, As a matter of fact, however, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. Donald Wiseman, here's another one, the geography of, of Bible lands and visible remains of antiquity were gradually recorded until today more than 25,000 sites within this region and dating to the Old Testament times in their broadest sense have been located. And a man that we interviewed, Dr. Randall Price, one of the best Christian archaeologists of, of uh, Palestine uh, today, good, ar uh, good archaeologist who we've interviewed, writes in his book that there have been over 100,000 discoveries related to biblical references that have been discovered. Over 100,000. That is just amazing. And you can hear that interview with him through our iShows. You just go to the resources page at evidenceandanswers.org. There's over 100 shows that you can download. They're just 250 each. And you can download my interview with Dr. Randall Price on archaeology and the Old Testament. So we have thousands of archaeological discoveries that confirm the historical accuracy of the Old Testament. Now, you mentioned that there are some controversial discoveries Yes, there are. You know, archaeology doesn't prove every single detail of the Old and New Testament. However, the vast majority of the discoveries, I mean, you've got thousands of discoveries that confirm the historical accuracy of the Old and New Testament. You can't discount those just because we have a few that we still have questions over. What we see as a pattern throughout biblical archaeology is that many skeptics will often question the historical accuracy of the Old or New Testament. They may make discoveries that seem to uh, contradict what the Bible says, but as further discoveries are made, uh, the discoveries actually end up confirming the historical integrity of the Old and New Testament. Um, you know, let me give you just a, a couple of examples. You know, for many years, scholars questioned the existence of the Hittites, you know, this empire is mentioned in Genesis 15 and 1 Kings chapter 10. Um, they questioned whether this civilization actually existed. Many thought that maybe this was a mistake or maybe just some kind of mythological people group mentioned in the Bible. However, you know, a little over a century ago, the once-questioned existence of the Hittites was confirmed through archaeology. 
Early in the 1900s, in southern Turkey, northern Iraq, archaeologists were digging in a place called Boghazkoy, and they discovered a library there with thousands of tablets. And as they translated these tablets, they soon discovered they had discovered the Hittite Empire. Amazing. And the Bible's the only book in the world that mentions them. Right. And what was further discovered by archaeologists and paleontologists was that the Hittite language was soon discovered to be the early relative of the Indo-European languages. And today at the University of Chicago, you have a whole department dedicated to the study of Hittiteology. So that's the pattern you see. Skeptics may question a discovery or a historical reference in the Bible. And as more discoveries are made, that's the pattern you see. The Bible is confirmed to be a historically accurate work. Here's another one in our time. King David. Now, many thought that King David was a mythical figure. Many skeptics questioned whether David actually existed. Here you have the greatest of the kings of Israel, and we did not have anything outside the Bible that confirmed his existence. No coin, no government plaque, nothing that confirmed his existence. And many skeptics began questioning whether David really existed. Well, in 1993, in a place called Tel Dan, uh, this finding made headlines all over the world. A black basalt stele, or a plaque, was discovered, uh, broken, but the lines were written in Aramaic. Thirteen lines were written that could be read. And this plaque was dated to have been built and placed upon this government building in about the 9th century B.C., so about 200 years after the death of King David. Now, this plaque was put on by the king of Damascus, most likely Hazael, and he defeated the kings of Israel, as recorded in 2 Kings chapter 8. Uh, Jehoram was the king of Israel at that time, and Ahaziah is the king of Judah, and they are mentioned. And he refers to these two kings as the kings of Israel of the house of David. So here we have for the first time an archaeological discovery of one of the enemies of Israel who affirms the existence of King David and that the kings of Israel and Judah are descendants of King David. So here we have an enemy of Israel affirming the existence of a, a historical David. Just a few days before this recording, Pat, it was announced, I mean less than a week ago of this recording, archaeologists have found the tomb of King Herod, another confirmation of what uh, the New Testament teaches and we also had that mentioned in Josephus but there's another archaeological find that has just made headlines right Kevin and you know that's the pattern that we're finding you know I speaking with dr. Randall Price uh, he stated in his book that there are over a hundred thousand sites a uh, hundred thousand discoveries related to biblical references that have been discovered and he says that's only about 10% of what's out there there's still a large amount to be found and the more and more we're discovering the more and more we're finding just how accurate uh, the Old and New Testament are. You know, another example, Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands without error. And so the more and more we are discovering, more and more confirmation we're having of the Old and New Testament. There's no book as ancient that has so much archaeological confirmation as the Bible. It's just an incredible book. Pat, it sounds to me like you're building a cumulative case here, that you're offering a stack of lines of evidence that when combined point to the Bible's inspiration. Uh, if we just had archaeology, we could say, oh, well, the Bible is just archaeologically confirmed. But when you combine that with everything else, 
I think the case tends to really emerge, especially what you said in the first show about the confirmation of Jesus himself, the Son of God, the, the Bible is uh, the Word of God, and so on. Right. You know, Kevin, you br- that's a great point that you bring up. In fact, in uh, the debate we had with the atheists, that was a, a great point that you pointed out. And we're not just offering one line of evidence. We're offering a cumulative case. And, you know, the lawyers out there, those of you that do debates, understand that when you can build a cumulative case, you build a much stronger case than if you're just arguing from one line. Another big area, Pat, is doesn't science contradict biblical teaching? Boy, that's a big one. I hear that all the time, that science has proven the Bible to be inaccurate or actually irrelevant. However, you know, more and more we're discovering in science, science actually, you know, the Bible is consistent with what we're discovering in science. Now, one thing to understand, the Bible is not a scientific book. It doesn't tell you the makeup of atoms and doesn't talk about chemistry and all that. But when it does refer to God's creation, what it says about God's created order is indeed accurate. Let me give you a few um, examples from the Bible. You know, Genesis 1-1, the Bible affirms that the universe had a beginning. Now, for about one or two centuries, science believed that the universe was eternal. However, the vast majority of scientists now adhere to what we call the Big Bang, that the universe is not eternal, that it does have a beginning. Many call this the Big Bang. Well, that's what Genesis taught, that the universe had a beginning. Along with the Big Bang, that the universe has expanded. Isaiah 42, verse 5, and the Bible teaches that the universe has expanded, that the earth is round, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. You know, many believe that the earth was flat. In fact, the Greeks taught that the Earth was like a plate that rested in water. However, the Bible taught that the earth is round. Isaiah chapter 40, Job 26, the earth hangs in space. You know, in India, they taught that for uh, centuries, that the earth rolled on the back of two turtles. In some Greek schools of thought, they thought that a giant man named Atlas carried the earth upon his back. Well, the Bible taught that the earth hangs in space. Hmm. Here's another one that's receiving a lot of press today. It's called the Anthropic Principle, that the universe has been custom designed to allow for human life. Psalm 8, you know, it's called the Anthropic Principle. It seems like we live in a just right universe that is designed for us so so that we can have life and explore God's creation. Uh, We were at a seminar a few weeks ago, Kevin, led by the Discovery Institute, and they've done a tremendous job in explaining the anthropic principle that we live in a just right universe. Well, that's what Psalm 8 talks about. Psalm 8 also talks about oceanography, that the sea has paths. That's something that's just been recently discovered. Genesis 1, that the basic forms of animal life begin all at once. Well, according to evolutionists, 500 million years ago, we have the Cambrian explosion, that we don't have this Darwin's tree of life where we can trace fossils back to one-celled organisms that's about 500 million years ago, boom, we have this explosion and all the animal forms just suddenly appear. You know, well, consistent with what the Bible teaches. Kind of a geological Big Bang. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Stephen Hawking, who's one of the greatest cosmologists in the world, uh, said that almost everyone believes now that the universe had a beginning. And uh, there was a New York Times uh, best-selling book not too long ago called The Big Bang, which says that almost daily the evidence for the universe having a beginning grows. 
And so this is definitely confirmation of the biblical teaching that the universe had a beginning. Right. You know, and there are further implications with that as well. You know, whatever has a beginning has a cause. So if the universe has a beginning, what is the cause? And whatever caused the universe is greater than the universe. Well, you you know, there's tremendous implications there. That's why, you know, atheists and skeptics were so reluctant, but they had to acknowledge from the evidence that they saw in the redshift that the universe is expanding and other lines of evidence that the universe indeed does have a beginning and that points to bigger implications here. And also regarding the Genesis record, you know, Genesis 1 verse 12, that life forms remain basically the same. You know, according to Darwin, they evolve into other species. However, if you look at the fossil record, the transitional forms are not there and there should be thousands of them. But Genesis 1 12 taught that the forms were created and remain basically the same, that all Also, Genesis chapter 1, that all types of life began fully formed. Pat, skeptics, our Muslim friends, and even a best-selling book, The Da Vinci Code, in the movie, claim that the Bible's been edited and changed over the centuries, corrupted, in other words, uh, to the extent that we don't have accurate copy of what the original said, therefore we can't trust it. Right, and this is what you brought up. Uh, This is where the bibliographic or the manuscript evidence comes in. Now, how accurate? is our Old and New Testament to the original manuscripts. We don't have the original manuscripts. We don't have the manuscript which Paul and Peter wrote on or that Moses and David wrote on. We don't have those. What we have are copies of copies of copies of copies of copies that have been passed down to us. Now, as you mentioned, many skeptics say that they have been corrupted and edited and people changed things and therefore what we have may not be accurate to the original Well, that's where the manuscript evidence comes in. And you've got to look at two things. Number one, the number of ancient manuscripts you have. The more you have, the more accurate you can be to the original. If you have just a few, just a half dozen or so to compare with one another, well, that's going to be kind of tough. But if you have, let's say, hundreds, and let's throw in another factor from different parts of the world that you can now compare Well, now you've got a strong comparison and you're able to make a much more accurate comparison of whether you're accurate to the original or not. Then you also have the time gap issue. How close are these to the lifetime of the author? So if you got a work that has hundreds of ancient manuscripts that are written relatively, historically speaking, close to the lifetime of the author, then you can reasonably conclude you've got a very accurate historical work uh, that you've preserved this work very accurately to what the originals are. And when it comes to the Bible, you know, the Bible has a remarkable number of ancient manuscripts and historically speaking, they're closer, very close to the date of the author. Uh, Let's just look at the New Testament. We have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts. Now you add to that papyrus and parchment fragments, also early versions, the Syriac, the Latin Vulgate and others, and quotes from the church fathers. You know, the church fathers of the first 400 years quote every verse of the New Testament. So even if we didn't have, except for 11 verses, so if we didn't have all these ancient fragments, just from the quotes of the church fathers, we could reconstruct every verse except for 11 verses. We could reconstruct every verse of the New Testament. But you put all that together, we have over 24,000 ancient manuscripts. There's nothing close to that from the ancient world. Homer's Iliad comes in second. And I think it's up to maybe close to 1,000 now, but that's nowhere near 5,000 Greek and 24,000, including uh, everything else that you mentioned. Right. You know, I mean, Plato, I mean, these works are considered historically accurate. We've got about half a dozen, Herodotus, about a dozen, you know, Tacitus, nearly 20. When you look at these ancient works, I mean, they don't even come close to the Bible. 
So here we can give what's called an a fortiori argument. If we are to assume these are accurate historical works, how much more the Bible, which is thousands of ancient manuscripts. Yeah. And also you look at the date. When you look at these ancient works, you look at the date of the oldest manuscript compared to the lifetime when it was written. You know, how close are they? You know, Plato, the earliest copy we have of his works is 900 AD. That's 1,200 years after the date it was written. Pliny, you know, 850 AD is the earliest manuscript we have. That's over 700 years after it was written. Homer, uh, most well-attested to Greek work, was written in 900 BC, but the earliest copy we have is, comes 500 years later. Well, how does New Testament compare? Well, the earliest copy we have is the Rylands Fragments, dated about 120 AD. That's only about 30 years after the lifetime of John. So when you look at the number of manuscripts and the date of the earliest manuscript that we have, the Bible wins on both accounts, not just by a little, but by a lot. Pat, I want to wrap up our time today by asking you, why are there so many translations and versions of the Bible? We've got the New International Version, the King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, and so on. Is this a problem? Right, you know, that's a question I get in a lot of the seminars. And the reason is, you know, the New Testament's written in Greek, the Old Testament has Hebrew and Aramaic. Right? So they're written in two different languages. Now, to translate that, into English, you lose some of the nuances. And so what these translations try to do is they try to be accurate to the originals. And it's it's difficult to do and try to keep all the nuances. So that's why we have several translations. But they, there is no outright contradiction to each other. They're trying to get the finer points of the nuances and try to get as accurate as they can. So really it's not a problem. And hundreds of scholars come together to put together a lot of these translations of our modern time. And so they're just trying to get as accurate as they can and preserve you know, the precise nuance of the original text. And not only that, now they have to do another step. They have to write it in a way that matches the contemporary culture. The King James writing in 1600 tried to make it contemporary and relevant to their culture. The New International Version, New American Standard Version, the New Living Translation today are trying to write translations that captures the essence of what the authors are saying, but now they have to transpose it to make it the best understood for our culture today. Well, Pat, the Bible remains consistently the bestseller of all times. And while the Bible is not one book, it's 66 books, this best-selling status is a hint that there's something about this collection of books called the Bible. Yes, you know, a point you and I continue to bring up is, you know, the indestructibility of the Bible. It has been attacked by all the critics, literary critics, philosophical critics, archaeology, history, science. It has continually been attacked and attacked and attacked, but it continues to come back and to prove itself to be a work of integrity time and time and time again. The skeptics continue to be wrong. The Bible confirms itself to be true over and over and over again. The fact that it has remained with us, an authoritative work for over 2,000 years, as you mentioned, Kevin, shows that it is a very special book. And if the Bible is indeed the Word of God, as it affirms itself to be, anything opposed to it must be false. And for example, like the Quran, though it claims to be the divinely inspired work, it denies the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It denies the deity of Christ. Therefore, we must assume it to be false. 
other holy books out there teach a different worldview. Therefore, we must assume that they are false, and the Bible alone is the inspired Word of God. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.